Good morning, Westridge. I'll just say it again. Glad that you showed up today. Glad you're here. So uh, this week, I uh, made an application to renew my passport. And when I looked at the old one, and I opened it to the picture page, I saw that there's been some pretty significant change in the last 10 years. Less hair, more gray, probably put on a few pounds. And if I went back another 10 years, I'm sure I'd see the same thing, but even more remarkable and noticeable in the difference. So what I, what I want to like kind of pose to you today is if we set aside the physical part and, and actually how we look, but if you think about maybe say the last 10 years, what has changed in your life and who you're becoming? And maybe the, really the better question is, who would you like to become as you're looking forward to the next 10 years? Because truthfully, at, at the very core of what it means to follow Jesus is we, we are called becomers. We are becoming something. And we actually are on a personal mission. If you're a Jesus follower, you're on a personal mission to become more like him day after day after day. And my guess is there's not a single person here who wants to be the same in 10 years as you are right now. If you got out the, uh, the old yearbooks, you know, high school yearbooks, and you started thumbing through, and you get to the end where all your friends wrote their comments, my guess is that the comments that were in your yearbook would be a lot like the comments in the next person's and probably like mine, because it seems like there's almost a standard phrase or saying in there, and that is like, always be you, <clears throat> or don't ever change, which is a really scary thought considering what some of us were like in high school, right? <clears throat> but the truth is, change is coming. It's inevitable. And I think really the question for us when we talk about the life change for us is more how and how much. And that's what this series is really about as Paul is encouraging us to become something different and he's giving us specific instructions. We've already looked at the first week when Greg talked about what it means to become someone who lives wisely. And Lance talked about what it, what it means to become someone who is not controlled by anger. And last week, Danielle talked about what it, what it means to become someone who is a truth teller. So today, very simply, we're just looking at what it means, what it looks like to become generous. So I don't want to take anything for granted today. You know, we're talking about the book of Ephesians, which is sometimes called the letter uh, of the Ephesians. And just to be really clear, maybe you know this, but if you don't, it's important to understand that this letter is something that was written by a pastor to a church that he had started. And when he wrote this letter to them, he was trying to help them understand the truth of the story of God's message and then actually how they live it out. So when the apostle Paul was writing, and it really, I don't think it mattered if he was writing to a church or to a person, he would typically write the truth about what was the truth of God's story, and then he would follow that up with a very simple, understandable description of how to apply it, how to live it out. 
And that's exactly what you see in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 through 3, as Daniel described last week, is sort of the teaching, what you need to know and understand. And now as we come to chapter 4, 5, and 6, Paul is actually giving us the application, here's how you do, here's how you live out the stuff that I've just talked about. So if you look at that, you can see that in the beginning, there are some very important things to know, and now Paul is in that here's how you live it out. And this isn't just a clever style of writing for Paul. In actuality, what he is doing is he is giving us an agenda for how we grow spiritually in our life, that we understand something and then we begin to live it out. One guy has said it's, it's like when theology becomes biography, when the words of God begin to be lived out in my life. And you know, there's a danger because if that doesn't happen, that living it out, if we just continue to suck in information and there's not any transformation, there's a real danger in that. And the danger is this. It's very possible that that can lead to hypocrisy because it sets us up. It sets us up for the fact that we could take what we know and use it to judge someone else for what they do, maybe without doing the very same thing ourselves. There's another writer in the Bible named James, and he he addressed this, and here's how he said it very bluntly. He said, remember, it's a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So even though that's true, Paul was more than aware of how difficult it is in actuality to live out our faith, to actually practice the things that we know and understand. And he also wanted us to know that under our own power, it's never going to happen. And that's the reason that Paul prayed for people like you and like me and the people who lived in Ephesus he, he, he prayed on behalf of everyone who was a follower of Jesus. And here's what he prayed. If you go to Ephesians, in the beginning of this same letter, he says, the same mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. And neither Paul in his writing nor God in his design is willing to simply give us a bunch of information and then say, well, good luck. Go see if you can figure it out. In Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, Paul is very, very practical, but his prayer reminds us of something that is hugely important, and that is that we have been empowered by God's Spirit living in us to actually live out life change in our life. And the significant thing is the kind of power that it actually is. This kind of power is strong enough to make dead people come alive. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that is in us. The power is given to every person who chooses to follow Jesus and our becoming, our changing to become like Jesus is only done with that kind of power. So now when we actually go to Ephesians chapter four and we begin digging in again to what's the practical application? What is it, what is it that Paul is pointing us toward today? Ephesians chapter four Verse 28, here's what Paul says. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work 
and then give generously to others in need. Pretty blunt comment. And it's a pretty dramatic shift when you think of someone who has been stealing stuff that belongs to others to go through a life change where now that person becomes someone who gives away his or her stuff to someone else. I don't know, have you ever had something stolen from you? You know what that feels like? So when I just finished seminary and I had come to Chicagoland to help start a new church, I was living in Naperville and there was a group of us who were together working to start this new church and I was visiting one of my friends in an apartment and we'd been talking late into the night and it was probably midnight when I was actually leaving the apartment. I come down to the parking lot and going down the rows of cars until I get to my car and when I get to my car, I can see that the right rear wheel is missing. My car is kind of up on a block. And when I get a little bit farther down, I can see that the front right wheel is also missing. As I come around the corner, I can see that the left rear wheel is missing. But the most shocking part is there was a guy crouched down by the left front wheel still taking it off. He, of course, takes off running, and because I'm dumb, I take off running after him. I have no idea what I was going to do, probably get beat up. But just just to be clear, I didn't catch him. But do you know what that feels like? You know what it feels like to have something stolen from you? And I don't want you to envision some enviable sports car. This was an old Pontiac with lots of miles on it, but they were my wheels. And I wanted them back, all four of them. So I want to just like quickly tell a story that kind of happened about the same time in my life. Same year, just a few weeks before Christmas, I in my weak attempt at humor, I decided I was going to change my voicemail. And I changed it to say, hey, it's Scott. If you have a message, you can just leave a message after the, after, after the beep. And if you're calling because you're curious about what I want for Christmas, I'd love a new leather jacket. So lo and behold, about a week later, I walk into my office and there's a big white box sitting on my desk. I open it up. There's a leather jacket in there. It took me a while to figure out who it was that actually gave that to me. But once again, I, I would just ask like, Can you imagine what that feels like to be the recipient of that kind of generosity? So the contrast of those two moments in my life are similar to what Paul is talking about in this one single verse where he's describing someone who has moved from literally stealing other people's stuff to someone who has become generous and is now giving away stuff to help people who are in need. And just so you know, the guy that stole my wheels didn't give me a leather jacket. But there's a deeper meaning here too. There's something deeper than Paul just talking to people who have stolen stuff in their life. He's not just speaking to those people. He's actually, if you look at the words, he's speaking to anybody who works. And essentially, I think you could sort of boil our work down to having two very compelling reasons. Number one is it is for us to have our needs met. We work, so we have resources to pay the bills. But Paul also says there's another reason that, that we work, and it is it allows us to give to others so that all needs including other people's needs, will be met. So 
Paul's very practical, and he gives us clear instructions of what it means to live this stuff out. But let me, let me, let me go one step further with you. If you're thinking about what it looks like to really live this out, let me put this to you in sort of a challenge. Tomorrow or this week when you're driving to work, I just say, what if you stop and you pray and you thank God for the job that you have and you thank him for the resources you have that helps you to pay the bills and you just essentially express your gratitude for that, but then you also do something else. You think about how intentional you are with the resources that you have and using them as God's gift to you to help others. There's another letter of Paul that he writes to a different church in the city of Corinth, and he, he kind of expands on this idea. And this is from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 through 9, and he says, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So Paul is essentially saying, I just want you to know that in your, your life of being a becomer, God is generous, so the call on your life is for you to become generous. And there's one component to generosity that literally cannot be compromised, and that is that whatever you're doing, you have to do willingly. And Paul's very clear about that because he says, don't do something reluctantly because you got your arm twisted, because someone pressured you, because a gift that you don't want to give, that's not even really a gift at all. Maybe it's a tax or an obligation, but it's not a gift. What Paul also emphasizes is that, that generosity, as the focus of generosity is other-centered, that that the act is actually a benefit to other people. And he describes that when he says that, that people who have received, they share generously and they give generously to the poor. So here's one thing that we have found here at Westridge as a church. And when, when we teach or talk about generosity, we're looking at that many times from a personal perspective that we want to each be generous. But we also think about the culture of our church and we want to be generous as a church. And one of the things that we've learned is that generosity is at the core of helping people find God. Because if, if we are a church who wants to help people encounter, embrace, and embody the radical love of God, and, and we are, that is what we're about that we found that it almost always begins with sharing our resources in a way that inspires other people to be moved toward a relationship with the God who created them. And it also is something that empowers them to live a life of dignity. And because of that, 
we have partnerships with different groups and different people that allow us as a church to live out generosity. Because of verses like this, that's the reason that we want to be generous with Huff Elementary School, right here in our own, our own community, so that we can help students and their parents have the resources they need and access to them so that they can be empowered to live lives of dignity. It's also the reason that we are, are partnered with Fellowship Housing because there are single moms in Chicagoland who've been caught up in this cycle of poverty, poverty and we want to give them a hand up to help them break that vicious cycle. It's also a, the, the, what's behind our partnership with Nika Angels and the work that, that Westridge does in Nicaragua. So we, we in, in Nicaragua, we come alongside people from Nicaragua and we work with them side by side to help create a different kind of life there where they can rebuild their communities for clean water, good schools, and sustainable economic development. And there's another one that I wanna, I wanna kind of bring up to you today. Probably a year and a half ago, we kind of joined into a partnership to help Ukrainian refugees. And you know as well as I do that when, when that war began, there was devastation. And we wanted to partner in a way that we could help make a difference in the lives of those people whose lives had been just destroyed. So in just a minute, Darren is going to come up here and introduce you to someone, but before he comes up, I just want you to take a look at this video, which will remind you of the why and how we engaged with those refugees from Ukraine. We are uh, here with Gosha. Uh, we were blessed enough to be connected with uh, Gosha through a mutual friend of ours in Chicago. We were looking for opportunities to make a difference in the Ukraine refugee crisis and wanted to know that whatever help we gave was going directly to the refugees. So we found Gosha who was already doing it. She, from the beginning of the war, um, was making a difference in the lives of the refugees, bringing, her, uh, bringing the refugees into her own home. So she actually runs a wellness retreat here. Um, this is a small hotel that she has now converted into a refugee center where refugees um, have a great quality of life. They have privacy, they have their own bedrooms, their own quarters, uh, and it's an amazing place. And so what we're trying to do is to um, take what she's already doing expand it and be able to provide quality housing uh, and secure housing for about a hundred people. So um, Gosha is our boots on the ground and she's going to get it done. And one of the many things that we love about Gosha is her big generous heart. Um, she has the same philosophy as we do at Nika Angels in providing a hand up instead of a handout and it's super important to her like it is to us. Well, uh, we are look, uh, here with. Look who I uh, found in Nicaragua. Woo! It's Gosha. <clears throat> so uh, that video was uh, taken about six, seven weeks into the war, and it was complete chaos. And um, we were introduced through a mutual friend. We were looking to step into the crisis as a church. And really wanted to make a difference in in the lives of Ukrainian refugees, but we, you know, in those kind of situations, you never know how to who to trust. And so Shelby and I got on a plane and uh, we flew over and met with Gosha, and we knew immediately that she was the right person to kind of run the deal for us. So 
we had a goal when we met Gosha that we were going to house a um, hundred Ukrainian refugees, and now to date we've uh, housed 270 um, Ukrainian refugees. So it's been awesome. And we're still uh, helping. <laughs> yeah, and there's still she's still working. So we've made a commitment. We flew there and made a commitment that we're going to continue this. Uh, forward as the as the war continues, Gosha um, decided that she wanted to understand more about us, and so she actually wanted to serve with Nika Angels. So she flew to Nicaragua to serve to work on the schools and in the schools, and so she's been in Nicaragua working with us uh, over the last couple of weeks. So uh, we decided to bring her home for a show and tell here this morning. So uh. I like change. <laughs> But that's, you know, that's part of um, what we always want to do as a church because we want to know that, we want everybody to know that when you're generous and you give your money, we want you to know what happens with that money and that 100% of that money goes toward the projects that we raise the money for. And we have people that we trust who are carrying that out. And, you know, Shelby and I had the um, privilege of going there back to Poland a couple months ago to interview a lot of the Ukrainian refugees a year later. And they just, when you talk about Gosha, they just well up and they just start crying because <laughs> they just can't believe the generosity and the compassion that they receive from her. And so she's been doing incredible work on your behalf and uh, we're just really grateful for that. So I asked Gosha, is, uh, she's learned English over the last year. So she's like super nervous, but um, I asked her to say a few words for us. Yeah. Not in Polish, but in English. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi. Um, first, I want to uh, tell uh, it's very important and amazing uh, moment in my life uh, because I never been in USA. Uh, I never been something this place, uh, very unique uh, church and uh, church with uh, very good energy. Um, and uh, I apologize uh, for to you uh, because my English is not good. I understand a lot, but I don't speak well. But uh, I want to tell you uh, something from my heart. Um, this story is uh, very uh, <laughs> amazing for me uh, and very emotional. Um, because uh, when start uh, war, I uh, want help uh, refugees. Uh, I read in social media uh, they go to Poland because we uh, we are very near, and uh, and I use my home, big home uh, for that. I decided uh, and I start. But uh, refugees uh, were uh, was in more and more uh, needs uh, grows. Uh, my friends, my family, my neighbors, everyone uh, helped me. But uh, it's still uh, so little. And uh, when I think I must stop because I. Um, sleep maybe three, four hours a day uh, because I can help them and uh, I, can, I can work and uh, make money for me and, and them. 
Uh, I uh, meet Darren and Shelby. Uh, the meeting was amazing, very inspired for me, and uh, it was uh, something good. Films, uh, maybe better, uh, something miracle, really miracle, because I've, I really need uh, them and your uh, help and uh, refugees help, uh, your help need. And uh, when we start together, uh, we, I uh, help better, longer, and uh, we uh, give them uh, food, uh, clothes, uh, um, furnitures, uh, uh, houses, uh, I don't know, everything uh, what you your, uh, all need. Uh, because uh, they uh, come to Poland with maybe one backpack, yeah? And uh, uh, was separate. Uh, is family uh, and we together uh, helping them uh, very much we're still um, helping and I am very uh, uh, grateful, grateful <laughs> for you uh, because it's uh, it's something very big, uh, very speci special uh, now. Uh, we, uh, war is still uh, doing, yeah? and uh, they need to uh, learn Polish language, they need uh, jobs, uh, they need uh, support, uh, psychological, yeah? and uh, we make everything for for him uh, thanks you very much uh, i don't know it's <laughs> perfect <laughs> the people really need uh, your helps yeah. and me <laughs> So, I mean, I wish you guys could see what we've had the privilege of being able to see, but because of your generosity, the dollars have made incredible impact in the lives of those people who literally were pulling out of the train station, who had no place to go, putting them in a van in the middle of the night, taking them to places, and they're just trusting us, you know, to take them to someplace safe and providing them housing and food, and, and that's all because of your generosity. So I'm just um, really, really grateful for, for y'all. And you know, also, just on a side note, um, Shelby and I just spent the last month in um, Nicaragua. Um, we hosted a group from Westridge to work, so your generosity has also uh, built a school out in a little village where um, these kids didn't mm -hmm. have a place to go. They had to go miles to, to get to a school, and now they have a school in their backyard in their little village, and that's because of your generosity, too. So mm -hmm. I just want you to know that we're really serious about, you know, when we talk about, you know, for the least of these, that we're just wanting one cup of water at a time. We're only doing, we're not trying to scale up some big thing. Like, we're just trying to make a difference in the lives of people, and that's because of, of what you give. So... Thank you for your generosity, and make sure you uh, say hi to Gosha at the end of the service. <laughs> Thank you for my hug. <laughs>